Hello, dear listener. This is Tanner here with Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. A reminder that these episodes about Ukraine and Russia are not scripted. They are reporting as quickly as events happen, as often as I can get them. Sometimes I will misspeak. Sometimes I will say things that are untrue, simply because the information that I have at the time is all that I'm being given. In the future, we may look back at things I say here and we'll realize, oh, he was totally wrong about that. But remember, I am doing this because I want people to be as updated as I am, because I'm trying to stay as updated as possible about the events that are happening and trying to report them as unbiased as I possibly can. So with that being said, please give me grace if I misspeak, and please remember that I'm trying to do my absolute best. Without further ado, enjoy this one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Remember, the show is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened, and I am Tanner as for the last four days, I will be talking about what's going on in between Ukraine and Russia. Now, remember, these episodes are not scripted. I'm just delivering information as soon as I can possibly get it. I'm going to do a quick update today, hopefully quick. We might go a little bit longer. It just depends on how, how long all of these things take. The situation in Ukraine has changed somewhat. Not quite as drastic as we've seen uh, yesterday and this morning, but... Uh, in the last 12 hours, the situation has changed just a little bit, so we're going to talk very briefly about that. Please, if you feel so inclined, share this podcast in your social media so that we can get as many people involved with the conversations about this series of events and hope that we can get more people the mostly accurate information I'm delivering. Any information that is not accurate that I'm delivering is purely a mistake on my part, and I try to correct as many of those as I possibly can. So I'm not going to waste too much of your time trying to go into all of the exposition here. We already know what's going on there. Uh, if you're not f totally understanding of what's going on in Ukraine, please go listen to my What's Going On in Ukraine emergency broadcast that I released about a month ago. That is all the information you need to know about why this is happening. Okay, first we're going to go over the international repercussions of what's going on, then we're going to look more into what's going on on the Russian home front, and then we're going to look at the actual battles happening in Ukraine at the moment. So first of all, on the inter international stage, we got some more sanctions here. The most significant of these sanctions came from Germany, actually, and uh, this is important because Germany has joined the rest of the uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or most of the key nations, in banning Russia from the SWIFT payment, uh, payments network. Now, most of us are not familiar with what the SWIFT payment network is, and the SWIFT payment network is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. Essentially, it's an organization set up to facilitate cross-border payments all around the world. Every single country has access to the SWIFT payment system. It is not a centralized uh, thing. It is more of a, comp a decentralized kind of a company. And many banks in Russia use SWIFT because Russia is very disconnected from the rest of the West. But uh, many banks in Russia use this system so that they can facilitate cross-border payments everywhere else around the globe. Well, uh, the United States was putting this off a little bit. And today, a number of notable countries declared that they would no longer allow Russia to use SWIFT to communicate with any banks or organizations in their countries. The United Kingdom did it two days ago, the United States did it today, and Germany did it today also. Germany is important because Germany is the main hub for SWIFT. I think it was started in Germany, and so many payments go through Germany to other places. And so Germany's kind of this central conduit for all of these payments, and Germany told Russia that it would no longer allow Russia to use SWIFT through its country, which means that uh, almost all key nations in the West have banned Russia from using SWIFT in their 
respective countries, and because of that, it's going to severely damage Russia's economy because all of those central banks can no longer use SWIFT to communicate with any outside sources, so there is no longer any money flowing into Russia at all. They are using only their own money and relying solely on their local economies rather than uh, international economies, which makes it very, very difficult for people in Russia to sell products abroad which is a lot of what Russia does. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Putin. Another thing that happened today is that all countries west of Russia, with the exception of Belarus, have now closed their airspace to Russia. And this isn't just military airspace. Um, if, if you're in a plane departing Russia, you can no longer cross the border of Russia, uh, the western border of Russia, unless you're going into Belarus, which means that Commercial airlines, which are not government-owned, can no longer do that, which is going to mean a lot of commercial airlines are going to suffer as long as these airspaces are closed, which means a lot of people are going to lose their jobs, and a lot of people can no longer travel to see family in the West, which is going to be very hard on the Russian people, economically and culturally. And that is going to put even more pressure on Putin, because already we're seeing tons of protesters uh, in Russia. But I'll get to that when we're talking about exactly what's happening in Russia. Internationally, also, a lot of people are getting nervous about what's happening because Belarus is holding a referendum to allow Russia to start housing nuclear weapons in Belarus again. Uh, Belarus was denuclearized in the 1990s. All of the nuclear weapons that were in Belarus during the era of the Soviet Union were completely decommissioned and taken apart. Um, but... Russia still has a lot of nuclear weapons, and in, I think, just a few days, maybe a few weeks, Belarus is going to be holding a referendum among its people to allow them to house nuclear weapons from Russia in their country again, which the West is getting nervous about, particularly because of what's going on in Ukraine right now. With all the international pressure being put on Putin and this invasion not going exactly according to his plan, a lot of people are nervous that he could fly off the handle and do something very rash. And so a lot of people are nervous about that. Also on the international stage, there are two things happening that uh, making, are making me just a little bit nervous. And I think it's important to focus on these things because they are tying into what's going on in Ukraine. First of all, North Korea tested a ballistic missile, fired it into the sea near Japan just today. Uh, a lot of people believe that they did that because the U.S. is so focused on what's going on in Ukraine that they're not paying attention to what's going on in North Korea, and so North Korea is resuming its weapons testing, which was under close scrutiny by the United States for many years, especially during the Trump, Trump presidency. A lot of people are freaking out about this, and news agencies are starting to really propagate this as potential, you know, the world could end or anything like that. Well, it does make me just a little bit nervous, um, doesn't make me too nervous because North Korea tests weapons very frequently and fires them into the sea. It happens a lot. Um, for a long time, it happened once a month. So this is not something to be extremely worried about, but it's important to understand that this is what's happening because of what's going on in Ukraine. Also, uh, we talked about Taiwan and China a couple days ago and how t uh, China flew a couple jets over Taiwan um, and violated their airspace. Turns out there was 39 jets, 39 Chinese jets flew into Chinese airspace, so that's a lot of jets. Well, the United States docked one of its battleships in a Taiwanese harbor on the west side of Taiwan, which is right between Taiwan and China. China called it a provocative move by the United States, 
But the United States said, hey, we're just uh, respecting international waters. We're just doing our thing. This is also tied to Ukraine because China's watching what's happening in Ukraine to see if the West will intervene. It is obvious that the West is intervening, and I will talk in just a moment about how the West is intervening. But but because the West is intervening, I don't I think China is less and less likely to invade Taiwan because they're seeing um, how many weapons are being shipped into Ukraine from the West and how catastrophic a war with Taiwan would be if the Chinese were to actually try to invade the small country. But I think because they flew a bunch of jets over, I think the United States is putting a battleship in the Taiwanese harbor to say, hey, we stand with Taiwan and we got military might. We will, we're willing to fight you guys if you decide to come over and try to take over Taiwan. I think it's a little bit of gunboat diplomacy. And remember, go listen to my episode two of the Conflict of Nations series to get a little short lesson on the, uh, on what gunboat diplomacy means. A little bit more about international stuff. This is the last international thing we're talking about. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization is starting to ship a lot of weapons into the Ukraine. Now, remember that there are 30 nations involved in the, in, the, in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and it looks like 28 of those nations are going to be sending guns and other weapons into the Ukraine. The latest of which is Germany, and Germany has pledged to send 1,000 anti-tank weapons and 500 Stinger missiles to Ukraine as it fights a Russian invasion. Fights the Russian invasion, rather. Sorry, I was reading a headline right there. So... If Germany's sending 1,000 anti-tank weapons and 500 Stinger missiles into the Ukraine, who knows what all the rest of these nations are going to be sending in there. I know Poland, I think, sent 10,000 helmets into the Ukraine and a lot of other equipment, as, as well, along with medical supplies. The United States and the United Kingdom have also pledged to send uh, money and other military goods into the Ukraine. I know the United States today announced that they were going to send $350 million of cash into the Ukraine so the Ukraine could purchase weapons from other nations nearby. So the West is is helping the Ukraine and there's a lot of guns going in, a lot of guns and other weapons going into the Ukraine. Russia is definitely suffering from all of this. It's uh, pretty remarkable to see the North Atlantic Treaty Organization coming together because prior to this war, a lot of people were thinking that NATO was about to disintegrate. And it's very remarkable that all of these nations are coming together to help this small country who's not even part of NATO fight off this Russian invasion. Okay, so that's what we got for international news. Now we're going to look at what's happening inside Russia. People are still protesting inside Russia. Thousands of them are protesting inside Russia. Since this, since this uh, war began, looks like the newest numbers out of Moscow say that there have been 2,800 arrests of people protesting the war. Now, the videos I'm seeing of these or uh, of these uh, protests are that maybe one in ten, maybe one in twenty people are being detained by Russian authorities for protesting. And if that is so, let's say one in fifteen people are being detained by Russian authorities for protesting the war. Remember, protesting is illegal unless it is sanctioned in the. Russian Federation. So let's say 2,800 people have been, um, yeah, I'm doing this on my calculator right now. 2,800 people have been detained by Russian authorities. Let's say one in 15 of them have been, de have uh, been detained. So that means 42,000 people are protesting during these events. And it's probably higher than that, to be honest, because they're in cities all across Russia. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people who are protesting what's going on in Ukraine, in the Russian Federation. So in the last two episodes ago, I said that I was going to talk about um, Russia's reasoning for behind why they invaded the Ukraine. And as I listened back to that episode, I realized I totally forgot to do that because I got sidetracked. 
So really quickly, I'm just going to cover what the Russian Federation has been telling its citizens to justify this war. And a lot of citizens and a lot of even Russian military men are not buying this. So Russia has been delivering lots of propaganda to its people through state-funded media that Ukraine is governed by Nazis. Now, you may think that that's totally ridiculous, and it is ridiculous, because for the most part, uh, there aren't very many Nazis in the Ukraine. I think in the last episode I did say there were Nazis, there are neo-Nazis in the Ukraine, there are paramilitary groups who have declared themselves to be neo-Nazis. That That's real. That is absolutely 100% real. But the government of Ukraine is not Nazi. And to prove that, I will tell you that the president of the Ukraine is Jewish. Vladimir Zelensky is a Jew. So it's very, very unlikely that he's a Nazi. But Putin and his state-funded media have been feeding this to the Russian people for years by this time and saying that the Ukraine is full of uh, Nazis and they need to exterminate those people to free the people of Ukraine from under this Nazi rule. They're also saying things like Ukraine is genociding its own people, particularly because of the civil war in the East. They're saying that Ukrainian soldiers are killing off so many civilians in those regions. Now, I don't know if that's true or false. I do not think it is as true as the Russian propaganda is making it out to be. There is a civil war going on in Eastern Ukraine. And during times of civil war, atrocities are committed on both sides. It has happened in almost every single civil war I have ever researched, particularly in Russian civil wars. Slavic people can be particularly brutal when it comes to war. And so I would believe that there have probably been atrocities committed on both sides. But of course, Putin is making sure that the Russian people only see one side of this argument. Now, he's also saying that Vladimir Zelensky is a tyrant, and he points to the fact that Vladimir Zelensky banned three news agencies in the last few years that are that were pro-Russian. Uh, this is true. It is absolutely true that Vladimir Zelensky did ban these news outlets. I tried to research this a little bit more, and there's not a lot of information on it. All I can really say is that there was a civil war happening in the Ukraine, and it's possible that these news agencies were delivering a lot of anti-Zelensky propaganda because he was trying to lead his country through a civil war and try to defeat these pro-Russian forces in the East who were trying to fracture and become either part of Russia or independent nations. So... While I never, ever advocate for any kind of censorship whatsoever, I can partially understand why he would do that because his country is in the midst of a civil war and things are, can be a little bit different in those situations. But Vladimir Putin is using that uh, and, giving, and feeding that to his people to show them what's going on. So Putin is telling his people that the Ukrainian leaders are genociding their own populace, that they're tyrants, that they're outlawing uh, Russian culture, things like that. And so that's how he's trying to justify his invasion of the Ukraine. A lot of Russian people are not buying this, unfortunately for Putin. Um, still a lot of protests happening. Now, also what's happening in Russia is that the, the Russian military is actually starting to fracture just a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot. It's not like there's some huge mutiny happening. But we're getting a lot of footage out of the Ukraine of Russian prisoners who are being captured by Ukrainians. Now, I want to note first, it seems that all of these Russian prisoners that I've seen so far, um, while Ukrainians are not being particularly kind to them and maybe shouting at them or asking them why they're here, telling them they're horrible for being on Ukrainian soil, it does not seem like Russian, uh, the Ukrainians are hurting these Russian prisoners that I have seen. 
There may be people who are not videoing themselves hurting Russian prisoners. That's probably happening because they are in a war and the Russians have invaded their country. I'd be very mad too if Russians invaded my country. But what I'm seeing so far is that looks like Russian soldiers are being housed. They are being given beds with sheets on them and they are being fed. Um, I probably can't say the same for Ukrainian troops who are being captured by Russian forces. But when these Russian forces are captured, a lot of videos are being shown of the Ukrainians. They start to, they, I see a lot of videos of them taping the Russian soldiers' eyes so they have limited vision so they can't see exactly where they are. And their hands are usually tied behind their backs, but the Ukrainians people will ask for their mother's or father's or sibling's name um, and their phone number so that they can call them, hold a phone in front of the Russian soldier and let them talk to their families. On two occasions just today, I saw videos of Russian soldiers talking to their families inside Russia, and both of them said, uh, Mom, I am in the U- I'm, I am, I've been captured by the Ukrainians, I am in Ukraine. And their mother responded, why are you in Ukraine? The soldiers said, we don't know, they just told us to come here, we don't know why we're here. This goes, this, this combined with the two reports I had before, of Russian soldiers saying the exact same thing, are painting this larger picture that really a lot of Russian soldiers have no idea why they're in Ukraine in the first place. It's likely that a lot of people, a lot of Russian soldiers don't know there's this huge war going on. They, all they know that is that this was a special military operation. A lot of the rest of the world is calling this a war and an invasion. I don't think the Russians see it that way because they haven't been told that it's that. There is a video of Ukrainian people driving up to a Russian convoy who's run out of gas and... The Russians straight up ask them, have you heard any news? The Russians don't even know what's going on. And so that's creating a very interesting situation for the Russian army as communication is breaking down among the ranks. Now, another interesting tidbit is that Putin called for a large contingent of Chechenian uh, paramilitary men to go into the Ukraine and the Chechenians decided to comply with that. Chechnya is a small province in southern Russia, which is majority Muslim, and they are known for being very, very brutal fighters. Now, Putin is contracting a lot of them to go into the Ukraine, uh, which could be very harmful to the Ukrainians. A little bit of history lesson for you. In 1991, right after Putin was elected into office, he sent Russian troops into Chechnya to quell an independence movement, and they exterminated a lot of Chechnyans. The war was very brutal, and a lot of people died. That was only 30 years ago. 29, uh, 31, 31, 31 years ago. So a lot of these Chechnyans who are going into battle have fathers or brothers or grandfathers who fought and probably died under Putin's thumb. So it's interesting that they're being called up to action to go and fight Putin's war for him now when they probably have very little to do with actual with with the conflict with Ukraine. In fact, most Russian soldiers have very little to do with the conflict in Ukraine. So it's interesting now that I got a report that a battalion leader a Chechen battalion leader that's been living in Ukraine for the last eight years and fighting against Russian forces during the Ukrainian civil war has spoken out and said that the Chechen soldiers that Putin is sending to the Ukraine are not real Chechens. 
he says that real Chechens fight against Russian aggression. He said that in 2017, Putin tried to kill him and his whole family because he's been fighting for so long and inspiring the Ukrainian people. And he says, really, anybody who is still fighting for Putin, any Chechens who are fighting for Putin are not real Chechens. So it's very interesting that this this ethnic conflict is now two-sided. Could create some very fascinating dynamics in this conflict. I'm going to follow that very closely. On the home front, also, things are not going great for Putin because, as I said the other day, Anonymous, uh, the... Decentralized hacker group Anonymous has launched a cyber war against the Russian state media. And the latest attacks are that a radio station has been breached and well, breached is the wrong word, but a radio station has been hacked and that, and it is a military radio station and they are now just kind of playing Ukrainian music over that military radio station. Uh, Russian state media television has been hacked on several accounts. Uh, there is one video of a person living in Russia flipping through several news channels, three or four news channels that are all state-run, and it's just broadcasting footage from the war in the Ukraine that favors the Ukrainians and shows the suffering that the Ukrainian civilians are enduring during this war. And I think that is very significantly undermining Putin's authority over this whole situation. Things are not going great for Putin, especially because he has... Uh, there have been many more instances of Russian missiles hitting civilian targets. Uh, like I said, this morning, a civilian apartment building was hit. Fortunately, no casualties from that, uh, no deaths from that attack on an apartment building. People were wounded, but no one dead. Um, there have been other instances, however, where people were not so lucky. Hospitals have been hit more hospitals since I was, since I last reported that. There also, during the Battle of Kiev... Uh, two nights ago, there was a large missile that hit outside of a very crowded subway station. If you remember, there are Ukrainians hiding in a lot of the Cold War era subway stations that are very deep underground as to avoid a potential nuclear war that was feared during the Cold War. That's when these were dug. There's a lot of Ukrainians hiding in there, so they're very, very safe under there. But unfortunately, five civilians were killed when a missile struck near one of these metro stations during the Battle of Kiev. So, there are there are civilians dying, and a lot, the Russians are at fault for that. I've been talking to a lot of friends about this situation, and a lot of my friends are starting to wonder. We had a, we had a very nice discussion that we there is a very distinct possibility that this war could destabilize the Russian Federation altogether. Putin has been under scrutiny from his people for the last couple years. There were, there were a lot of protests in 2021, there were protests in 2020, and there were protests in 2017, and this war could destabilize the entire Federation that Putin has worked for so long to build up. I think specifically because this war is not going as well as I think he hoped it was going to go. The Ukrainians are fighting back so ferociously. And we have to remember that this is the first European war that we've ever seen that has the ability of social media to distribute information. That's how I'm getting a lot of my information. I'm seeing videos being posted of scary things happening in Ukraine and Russian soldiers saying, hey, we don't know why we're here. And war crimes against civilians and i've i've heard, i've seen reports out of specifically just now i heard a report this morning that the city of let's see what was it called the city of 
I think it's called Mayakov, Mykolaiv, uh, the city of Mykolaiv in southeast Russia. Uh, Russia re released a report that they had captured this city, but I'm looking at uh, a video from this right now, and it's showing that that city is actually under complete Ukrainian control. So either the city was captured but has been retaken by Ukraine, or the city was never captured. And because of things like that, the Russian people are able to see, oh, our government is lying to us a little bit. And today, in the last couple hours, Russia actually banned the use of Twitter from inside of its country. Now, you can still use Twitter inside Russia if you have a VPN, but I don't know how many people in Russia have access to getting VPNs. Um, but a lot, I think a lot of the damage has already been done. A lot of Russian people have already been on Twitter watching these things happen. And even though it's banned now, so many Russian people probably saw what was going on and realized this is not what we want. We don't want this war. We have no beef with Ukraine. And that could destabilize Putin's regime over the country, which could create a very interesting dynamic in Eastern Europe. It's, keep a close eye on that. That could be very interesting. All right, moving on from Russia to the actual situation on the ground in Ukraine. Looks like there was another Russian attack on the capital city of Kiev last night. A report from the Ukrainian military this morning, Kiev is completely under Ukrainian control. There are no parts of the capital city that are under Russian control, despite two Russian, two nights of Russian attacks. This is now day five of the invasion, and Russia has not been able to get any further into the capital of Kiev, which I think was their primary objective, which is disappointing, to say the least, for Russia. Looks like the city of Kharkiv in northeastern Ukraine, which was the site of some of the fiercest fighting, is still under shelling and is they're, they're, they're still fighting in the streets. I think that was one that Russia was very excited to take very quickly, but unfortunately they've not been able to take it. Any city that Russia has taken so far has been taken with very minimal pushback. And Ukrainians have launched counterattacks counter in all of those cities that were, all of the territory that has been taken, all of the strategic airfields that have been taken by the Russians, Ukraine has either counterattacked or retaken, and there are still battles ongoing. The Ukrainians have put, on, have put up such a staunch resistance that I think the Russians were not anticipating that at all. I've also seen two or three videos of groups of unarmed Ukrainian citizens standing in the streets in front of Russian tanks. And the Russian tanks stop and will not proceed and will not run over those Ukrainian people. Now, there are plenty of, uh, plenty of stories in wars across all of history since the invention of mechanized warfare of, uh, tanks running over civilians and without any regard for civilian life, especially when it's the enemy. But because these Russian tanks are stopping and not running over Ukrainian civilians, it means there's something deeper at work here. Whether it's the morality of the Russian soldiers and saying, hey, we're not here to kill Ukrainians, or these Russian soldiers actually think they're here to do some kind of military exercise and killing civilians is not part of the bargain, which is another breakdown in communication between Russian leaders and the Russian soldiers, which creates another interesting dynamic in this whole war. Um, but Russian people are standing in front of these mechanized columns, and it's not just one tank, it's three or four tanks, maybe more than that, and they can't proceed forward because the Ukrainian people are blocking the road. Very interesting that that's happening. And an interesting juxtaposition because we've seen Russian tanks and Russian bombs committing war crimes on civilians and attacking Russian attacking Ukrainian civilians without any provocation, but there's other 
there's other videos now of Russian tanks not attacking Ukrainian civilians, whether that's because Russian leaders have been very hard on their soldiers from this point on. They've been like, hey, you can't kill more Ukrainian civilians because this is all over social media. Or if the Ukrainian soldiers are, they said this isn't part of the bargain, or if they actually have a morality crisis where they're like, we, how, like, can we, are we supposed to kill these Ukrainian civilians who don't have weapons? What are we supposed to do here? Could lead to another breakdown in the Russian military. This is all very, very interesting. There's a lot going on here. It's going to be very important to keep a wary eye on this situation as it may escalate. Russia is officially sanctioned out of its mind. Uh, as com it's completely disconnected from the West. All economic ties with the West have been broken and it can no longer use its swift payment system which is going to be devastating for a lot of centralized Russian banks. The Russian air industry is crippled because it cannot fly any people out of Russia anymore. And the Russian invasion is not going nearly as well as Putin may have wanted. The videos I'm seeing right now are that Ukraine is very quiet uh, on several accounts. Several videos that have been posted in the last... 20, 30 minutes or so are showing that Kiev is very quiet right now. Kharkiv is very quiet right now. And looks like there's a brief break in the fighting around the country. Uh, I'm going to keep a close eye on this throughout the night. And I will do another report in uh, about 12 hours or so on the developments in the next 12 hours. So... Keep a close eye on this, everybody. And remember, please share this podcast with your friends. We can get up-to-date information out there as quickly as possible. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks for joining me on Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened.